I think there's a real need for evangelism. So many Christians, let alone non-believers, don't know necessarily what the gospel is. The younger generation is growing up without Bibles in their homes. That's really a serious thing. We don't see that people that really have a hunger for really knowing God, a hunger for the truth. There's people very lost. There's people searching, but they don't know what they're searching for. We live in a day and age where the church has grown apathetic, and we need something to spark the fire. And I can't think of a better tool than to infuse a sense of calling back into the body of Christ. From a skeptic's point of view, they wonder, does mass evangelism work? At the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, we do individual evangelism in a mass setting. We don't just show up to the venue and conduct an event. It starts months in advance. One of our first conversation pieces is, let's begin to form a prayer team. Let's acknowledge the priority of prayer right away so that we lay that key groundwork. I Am Andrew is really the heart of the ministry. Andrew invited his brother Simon to meet Jesus. We're asking people in churches to invite their friends to come and attend the event with them. And then through the Christian Life Witness classes, we hope to give someone the tools to share their faith. And they really began to understand, this is my ministry. This isn't just an event for the community. This is where I have the chance to help impact the people right here, right around me. The training alone that we went through was so helpful. I have skills to share my faith with other people. Uh, many of you will know that I grew up very, very skeptical about religion and faith and Christianity. Um, and I gave the, the Christians, the few that there were at my school, a pretty hard time uh, of it when I did bump into them. Um, I was convinced that Christianity was incredibly dull and boring. I can remember we had an RE class, a religious education class from our school chaplain, who you'd think would be able to spice this lesson up. And it was so dull. There was one day when uh, one lad was, um, we used to get the belt when you misbehaved. You remember the belt? Some of you will remember that. It was a strap of leather. That it was no longer, it was no belt about it. It didn't even bend. It just went straight out with two kind of snakes four tongues on the end. Anyway, the belt was this thing that you get kind of on the hands if you were misbehaving. One kid was getting it and we were just messing around the whole class. So the teacher, our chaplain, our RE guy said, okay, well, this is terrible. Does any, if I'm going to belt all of you. Would you prefer that than the lesson? And the whole class said, yes, we would prefer that. <laughs> and we all queued up to have a shot of the belt rather than do an RE lesson. Such was my, uh, my view of it and everyone around me. I thought it was totally irrelevant to my life. You know, I thought Jesus had far more to do with stained glass than he did with my life. And I was also convinced the thing was completely untrue. You know, to believe what Christians seem to believe, I thought you've got to take your brain out, leave it at the door, and uh, you can pick it up again uh, on the way outside of church. And... Um, so I was growing up looking for serious satisfaction in life. I was looking for success in my sport, in relationships, in my career, whatever that might look like. That is what I was expecting. Um, and yet, the, while so much of my life was going well, there was, there was just a growing sense of there has to be something more to life. I was binge drinking uh, frequently and quite excessively um, and just could not quite put my finger on what it was that it was missing in my life. Now, I just want to kind of roll back a few years earlier. I'm about 16, 17 and it's a Sunday morning 
And in our house, we had a different time zone on a Sunday morning. It was about a four-hour time difference to the rest of the, the week. Uh, so 12 o'clock at lunchtime, for most of us, we'd be like 8 o'clock in the morning. 11 o'clock, we'd be like 7 o'clock in the morning. Anyway, my friend knocks on the door at 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm in my bed. My whole family's in its bed. That was standard issue on a Sunday. And uh, anyway, my mom lets this guy in, and he's standing at the bottom of my bed. I'm in my pajamas in my bed, and I'm like, what are you doing here? This is, this is incredibly early. This is like seven o'clock in my head. What are you doing here? And he said something about church. I'm like, oh my life, you're, you're on your way to church. I, I had no idea. <laughs> and he said, no, no, I'm on my way back. I'm like, you're on your way back from church. You have got a problem with this serious issues going on in your life. I thought you were normal. I was genuinely shocked. But I discovered slowly, slowly what it meant for him and his Christian faith. And I respected him hugely because of what he shared, what he used to invite me to, what he used to talk about. And I became, or as I was becoming more aware of that emptiness in my life, the two things began to come together. And to, to cut a long story short, I eventually came to that point. Um, one night after I had drunk a lot, after I had just narrowly escaped a fairly serious fight in a car park, and I got back to my room and I thought, do you know what, if you're up there, God, I think I probably need you. You know, if you're up there real, will you come and start leading my life? Because it doesn't quite seem to be working the way that I thought it was going to pan out. And I prayed that for four nights. And on the fifth night, I was staying at my mate's house uh, on the outer rings of Edinburgh, Gilmerton, uh, in his place. And he said, do you ever think about what we used to talk about, Andy, in desperation? And I said, well, this week, every night, I've been thinking a lot about it. And there on the floor, that's kind of when I became a Christian, gave my life to God. And this passage in John's Gospel is a similar situation as we look at this character, Andrew. Andrew seems to be a pretty ordinary guy. Uh, verse 40, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And most of us hate being called someone else's brother or someone else's sister or the wife or the husband of whatever. But here's Andrew. He's like, oh, you don't know Andrew. You might know Simon Peter. Well, he's his brother. And virtually every time that you meet Andrew, he's referred to like that. He is an incredibly ordinary guy. Like you, like me, like my mate uh, Jed, uh, who started to share his faith with me. Uh, it says the same in chapter 6 and verse 8. Again, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. He's clearly well, far less well-known. He didn't write anything in the New Testament uh, that I'm aware of anyway. He's very, very ordinary. And yet, he's the guy that introduces Simon Peter to Jesus. Simon Peter is the guy that Jesus effectively plants the first church on and uh, launches the church uh, through. So I want to just look at Andrew's conversion first of all. So how did Andrew come to faith himself? Well, Andrew was a friend of John. He was actually one of his, his followers, one of his disciples. He, hang out, he hung out a lot with John. And John shares faith and, uh, and what he understands uh, to Andrew as well through that close relationship. And there's a few things that we learn from that. I think the first thing we learn is that Andrew respects John, okay, he trusts what he says. He listens to what he says. And that is one of the things that friendship brings to people. Now, I respected my friend. I listened to him. I didn't agree with very much that he said. Okay? I argued with most of what he said, but I still listened to him. And I still respected him um, as he stuck with me through that. And uh, building relationships and building that friendship is so important because people trust 
who we are um, as they get to know us through all the, the ins and outs and all the life that we share with people. I remember John Maxwell said this. He said, look for the 1% you have in common with someone and put 100% of your effort into it. And uh, that's how we, we build bridges into people's lives. The second thing we learn here um, in verse 36 that uh, we read together, when John saw Jesus, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Okay, the Lamb of God. He uses a redemptive analogy. He uses a picture that explains something of the good news. And for Andrew, who is kind of Jewish background, he would have understood that the Lamb was the sacrifice. Okay, that would cover people's sins. The Passover lamb that, was, that meant that everybody was rescued. And so John says, look, the lamb of God, not the one who just covers our sins, but who removes the sins altogether, who takes away the sin of the world. And we know as we approach Christmas, the shepherds, that lovely bit of the shepherds, the shepherds are there, the first ones there. Why? Because they're delivering the lamb of God. Okay, they are the, the shepherds who were out in Bethlehem delivering the sacrificial lambs every year that would be t- taken to the temple at Jerusalem. And so that simple thing begins to understand. Now, most people don't really know about lambs and sin and all of this sort of stuff in our world. So what are the illustrations that we use? What are the, the pictures that we might use to help people? So, you know, one I often use, when people don't really understand the pollution of sin, why sin pollutes us in our lives. So very often, I've shared it before, you know, I talk about a glass of, of spring highland water. Not a lovely glass. I wouldn't mind some now, actually. But a nice spring highland water. Beautiful, pure. And then the, the glass of absolutely disgusting pollution. You know, this is black, it's brown, there's, there's brown fumes coming off it. There's everything some naughty little boy would want to put in it is in there. It's disease ridden. You don't want to go near the stuff. And you take one drop of that and you put it in the clean water. And will you drink the now reasonably clean water? The truth is, no, you won't. I know there are some students who will do it for 20 quid, but you won't <laughs> generally do it. Okay? It's, del- it's got disease in it. It doesn't matter if it's got a little bit of disease in it or a lot. Okay, it pollutes the whole thing. Um, and so we can start to talk to people about pictures like that. You know, I like the shopping trolley illustration. You know, you, you're pushing the shopping trolley along. It wants to go in this direction or you want to go in this direction, but it wants to go in that direction because it's got a dodgy wheel. You know, so often in our lives, that's, that's what we, we want to live this way, but we find ourselves living that way. Simple analogies that we can use. You know, when I'm, uh, you know, the pollution that it causes in my life separates me from God. So I can't know him. You know, where is God uh, in my life? I can't see him. I can't know him. Yet Jesus comes, lives a pure life. And it says that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's laid on him our sin. So he takes our sin on the cross and says, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's now separated from the Father. But then I can go free and I can relate to him. So just looking for simple illustrations all the time uh, in our lives. And the third thing we see in this is that the relational approach happens time and time again. You know, for all of these missions, for the things that we'll do at Christmas, the carol services, you know, there'll be a handful of people who will come because they see a banner or because they get a leaflet through the door. But probably 80, 90% of people will be here because of a friend who brings someone. Okay? They go to an event because of a relationship, because someone they trust. I went to an event with my friend, not because I wanted to go to the event, but I didn't want to let him down. I thought, oh, no, he's invited, I better go. I really didn't want to go, but I went because he invited me and I didn't feel like I could say no. And what a difference it makes to us. So, um, invitation cards. We've got plenty of those earlier on. And next June, we're looking to fill 
the Birmingham Arena. It's a big place, holds about 13,000, 15,000 people. And uh, we have the opportunity to fill it with not yet Christians. And they will become there because of friendship with us. So that's Andrew's conversion. That's how Andrew himself becomes a Christian. What is his concern? And uh, I want to just revisit uh, this, this verse here in uh, John 1 verse 41 and into 42. The first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. His absolute priority, okay, the first thing Andrew did was what? It was to find someone, to find his brother. Okay, he's proactive. He goes and looks for his brother, for someone. The second thing he does is he tells him. He tells him, we, we found the Messiah. We found the one that we're looking for. I found the thing, that amazing thing that is missing in my life. I've, I think I've found it. And then not only does he tell him, he then brought him to Jesus. He brings him along with him. He says, come and see for yourself. And I'd encourage us all to, to memorize this verse. Okay? I'd encourage us to start praying this verse and start believing that God has got people in our lives for us to find, for us to tell, for us to bring. Um, this Christmas even, and as we go into 2020, that that would be our prayer. Now, many of you may know that when I first became a Christian, this was not my first priority. This was far from my first priority. To be honest, when I became a Christian, I was a little bit embarrassed um, about the whole thing. I think I'd given people such a hard time, I thought, I'm going I'm to reap what I've sown, and I know what I've sown. So I'd literally be walking along, the, the, you know, started going to this little church down the road, and I'd have my jacket on, a leather jacket on, and I had to, took a Bible to church. I was like, oh no, I've got to take a Bible to church. I would hide it in my, my jacket. And you know, it was, it'd just keep it under there. I was dreading bumping into someone that I might know who might catch me holding a Bible. That, that's how I genuinely felt. And uh, one day, God really spoke to me about this in a profound way. And I've shared this before, but it was the most profound thing in my life. Um, I get cold sores, so you know, I've, I've, I've pretty well always had them at various times in my life. When you get run down, you get a big, ugly blot on your lip, okay? And uh, particularly when you're 20s, you're very self-conscious of that sort of thing. You know, I can remember being a, in a lift at, at college, you know, loads of people in there, and you're just trying to face in a different direction so people can't see this thing. You know, I remember being on the top deck of a bus, you know, when people come up the stairwell, and I, could, I knew I was turning my face away every time somebody came up because I was just embarrassed about this on my lip. I remember going into a chemist shop and saying, have you, have you got any cream for, for this? Do you know what I mean? And it was like, that's how it was. And I was on the bus one day, literally turning my face away as somebody came up the staircase. And I felt God say to me, Andy, you're as embarrassed about me as you are about that blot on your lip. And I turned my face, hide my Bible, turn my face, hide my Bible. And I knew it was absolutely true. And I knew I had to do something. I knew this was a turning point in my life as to whether I would move on in my Christian faith. And so my decision was, um, I'm going to stand up for this. However hard it is, okay, I decided to get baptised. Okay? I invited my friends, my family, my sports team. I took the flack that did come uh, with some of it. Um, they didn't kill me, but you know, I, I took the flack. But God honoured that and he, and he changed my whole attitude and he poured his spirit into me in a way that, that kind of meant I could hardly stop telling people um, about the reality of God. And uh, Jesus said this in Matthew um, 6, I think, or 7. He says, you know, um, 
whoever honors me or owns me before men, I will honor them before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns and so on. But I can remember the first time trying to share my faith. I've got no idea, God, how you do this. Okay, I'm willing, but I've got no idea. And so I said, you're going to have to help me. So will you help me? So I was going out for a drink with a mate called Ian. Um, and uh, I remember the, the pub, I remember everything I was going to. And I said, God, I, I, I want to share this with Ian, but I, I, don't, I don't know how to. Will you help me? And uh, so anyway, I got on a bus, as I did. And I knew the bus driver. Okay, it doesn't happen a lot. But he was a guy who played in the church football team. He was a goalkeeper. And uh, so I'm chatting away to the bus driver thinking, oh, this is great. You know, so what does that button do? And uh, what does that button do? So we're kind of whizzing along some street in Edinburgh with the, the doors opening and closing, all sorts of kind of things. Nobody knows what's going on. And uh, I pressed a few buttons I don't think I was supposed to press. But anyway, we had a good, good fun. I get to meet my friend Ian and I just naturally start relating this story. And he says, so how, how do you know the bus driver? I said, oh, he plays for the church football team. You go to church? I didn't know you were a Christian. And suddenly I just found myself very naturally just beginning to think, I think, oh, God does help you when you're willing and when you want to. And so Andrew's priority is to find someone, is to tell them we found the Messiah and then bring them to Jesus. Come and see for yourself. And these are three intentional things. They don't just happen by themselves, but they're the things that we have to position ourselves for. So then I moved to Birmingham. And uh, many of you know I live with international students. Um, we had a guy from Kenya, a guy from Pakistan, a guy from China, a guy from Jordan, um, and a guy from Brazil, and me, all in a flat. It was an amazing year. And uh, I met with a few other Christians in, the, in some of the other flats that I flushed out. And uh, we used to pray together, encourage one another. And every Sunday, or most Sundays, we'd, we'd start to sort of have like a meal, a bit like open lunch. And you know, we just invite you know, our flatmates and other flat people from around. And this thing kind of grew. And then we we're playing volleyball in, in the park. And then we we're having a meal. And there was like 25 people in a, a room that was about the size of this bit of staging. You know, we like piled in there. I think we nearly killed them once. With, uh, we, we did something with um, chili beans that I'm not sure we did it right. But anyway, we survived that one. Anyway, we, we got on really well and we did all this sort of thing. And then there was an event coming up at church at some place I'd never heard of. Some place called Cox Moseswood's Leisure Centre. I have no idea where that is. That's the ends of the earth as far as I was concerned. Certainly at the far end of campus. Anyway, we thought, oh, well, we're supposed to invite people to this. So we invited them and surprisingly, they all wanted to come. So I had 25 people who wanted to come to church. And I'm like, okay, I've got a bicycle. This place, they don't know where it is. It's at least five miles away. What am I going to do? So it was call box days, you know, 10p in a call box, if you remember those things. Or if you don't, then you can Google it. It's probably on Wikipedia. What on earth is a call box? And I'm phoning up people in the church saying, have you got a car? Have you got four places in a car? And I end up with about six cars coming round, kind of like a taxi rank, picking up these, these other students to come and, uh, and just to hear the gospel. And um, these are all characteristics of Andrew here. He finds people, he tells them something about Jesus, and then he brings them as well. If you move on, if you flick through the pages into the next little kind of bit where Andrew is in chapter 6 and verse 8 and 9, he says this, it says, another of his disciples, so Andrew, comma, Simon Peter's brother, in case you don't know who he is, spoke up. And he says, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Here is a boy. So not only does he bring his brother to Jesus, he brings a boy 
to Jesus. Okay, he involves young people. Okay, he crosses the generations. And we need to be praying for young people. We need to be bringing and inviting young people as well. I'm going to watch a video now. And uh, this is from a mission in Blackpool last year. And this is just one woman's story um, of uh, her experience of this. When I was about 15, somebody invited me to a Billy Graham event. I remember being so convicted by Billy Graham and what he said. I hadn't heard people talk about Jesus in that way before. It had such a huge impact on me that I gave my life to the Lord at that point. I heard about the Blackpool Festival through working as a radio presenter on Cornerstone Christian Radio. I had two shows per week. We encouraged people to come along and be an Andrew. As people engage with the I Am Andrew program is the fact that you begin to say, okay, here are the people that I need to pray for. Here are the people that I know they don't have that hope of salvation and they begin to just day in, day out, begin to pray and look for opportunity to be able to share their faith with them. I took I Am an Andrew on board by asking the whole of my family to come to the festival. The heart of the festival is the I Am Andrew. That's the personal evangelism. This is the focus of what the festival is all about. People don't really feel that they can share their faith. They don't really feel that people are interested in the gospel. But when they get just intentional about praying for people and saying, how many can I bring along to a Christian event? They start to realize actually people want to hear the gospel people want to know Jesus and people's lives are changed in the process forever. Prior to the event, my family knew about Jesus, but they didn't know him personally. I invited my entire family to the festival and nine people came and out of that six people prayed the prayer of salvation. So the seeds of the gospel have now been planted in my family's hearts. It made me feel absolutely thrilled to see that. If somebody had given me a billion pounds, I couldn't have been happier. I felt that the Lord had answered my prayers. I was just ecstatic. So yeah, billion pounds or uh, see, some, see some lives changed. What a difference. One last little cameo of Andrew ends in John chapter 12 and verses 20 to 22. I'll read it to you. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. That's what they asked. We would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to Andrew. And Philip and Andrew in turn told Jesus. So Andrew brings people not only from other generations to Jesus, but he brings people from other cultures to Jesus, people different from himself. You know, just like Jesus did with the Samaritan woman. You know, he crossed that boundary into the, it's a woman, it's a Samaritan woman, and then he just used that little illustration of the water to begin to explain things. Crossing cultures. There's a guy I've got to know a little bit. He's a Nigerian pastor. He was originally from a kind of Muslim background. Um, and then became a Christian. But he's, he's kind of planting churches around Birmingham. And he's a Nigerian pastor, okay, with a Nigerian denomination, with Nigerians in his congregation, and somehow he's planted a Bulgarian congregation. Nobody knows how. The guy who's in charge of the whole thing is like, Rasak, how, how, how have you done this? 
Who even knows any Bulgarians? Does anyone know a Bulgarian? We know a few. Okay, not many. Okay, this guy's planted a church in Burma with Bulgarians. Okay, God is at work everywhere. Okay, we never know where and how he's going to work. So, you know, Jesus teaches us not to select who we share with, but as you go and make disciples of all nations. So the, the I Am Andrew um, kind of campaign, if you like, uh, comes from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association as part of the church's mission to Birmingham and right across the Midlands. Um, and they are kind of experts and kind of seasoned experts in equipping people in simple ways to share faith and to give us the resources to do that. Now, we know that U.S. churches have a strange re- relationship with politics. We know that politics in the U.K. is very complicated at the moment. Anybody not quite know where you're supposed to stand as a Christian and all of that? U.S. politics is exactly the same. It has its own complications. And as a church, we don't get involved in any of that kind of stuff in a party political way. But the BGA guys, although they're kind of American are gifting an incredible resource to this city to train us uh, regardless, to equip us in any way it can um, across the the whole of the city. Um, And this is a a phenomenal opportunity to do that. And so the campaign really is to say, I want to be a little bit more like Andrew. Okay, I want to be perhaps an Andrew, if you like. I want to commit to grow these characteristics in my life. Will you help me, God? Will you help me, Lord, to be a little bit more like that? You know, I will pr- try and pray to find some people, to tell some people, to bring some people. And uh, again, even, even if it's something this Christmas or an Alpha course or an event in the future, event in the city, whatever that looks like. But imagine if this place was full of people like Andrew. You know, and every week there are, there are Simon Peters being brought along to find out about Jesus. And it's not just a name, Andrew, it's a characteristic that we want to grow in our hearts and in our congregation.